Good evening. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, one is uh, pertaining to the men's retreat. That's this coming weekend, Friday through Sunday. And uh, if you still need to pay uh, or catch up on your payments or whatever it is that you need to do, or if you have any information, uh, just go by the office here or speak to uh, one of the pastors other than me. No, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just I don't know anything about it, but they do. So <laughs> speak, speak to them. I, I will be there, though. I will be there through the whole retreat. Looking forward to it as well. And the other announcement is uh, that on September the 3rd, uh, in the evening, we're going to be having our night of worship and our worship teams and, uh, and all will be uh, getting together to just honor the Lord in, in praise and thanksgiving. And um, we certainly invite you all to come. And of course, we're going to have desserts and um, coffee afterwards. And so if... Uh, you're a good dessert maker or maybe a good dessert buyer. Uh, you can do whatever you need to do. And then let us know. There's a little sign-up sheet on the table in the foyer. And that you can just sign up and let us know. It gives us an idea of what we need to prepare for here. So let us know if you're going to bring something. I hope you do. And there will be plenty of people to try it out. All right. I'd like to have you turn to Ezekiel 39, Ezekiel chapter 39. While you're doing that, I, I want to kind of quickly insert a quick prophetic update, even though much of what we're going to look at tonight is uh, everything we've been doing in the, in the book of Ezekiel has been a prophetic update. But um, uh, as I've been keeping watch on what is taking place in the world today, and the effect that these things are having in uh, Latter-day prophetic events, it, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, I, don't even, I don't even want to look at what's happening in this country. I want to talk about it a little bit in the message itself. But so much is happening in the world with all the nations that we are, are, are singling out I say we, the, the, the scriptures are signaling out as uh, key players in these last days. Take, for example, that our Secretary of Defense, uh, Mattis, is visiting Turkey and, and Jordan and the Ukraine. Uh, these particular visits have to do with um, Encouraging these countries, giving them thanks for fighting the uh, uh, ISIS uh, terrorists and all. But uh, some of that will go a lot deeper. Turkey, of course, uh, plays a major role in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is yet to happen. But because their nation and their armies are, are, are quite strong, uh, there's, there's no way of not connecting them today with what we have already studied in Ezekiel 38. And then we have uh, the president's son-in-law, uh, Jared Kirsch, uh, Kushner, going to 
the Middle East already has, uh, he's been in Egypt and uh, was scheduled to be in Israel uh, today and speaking to uh, Netanyahu and tomorrow the Palestinians, the Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, and then later on to speak with Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and, and Qatar. Uh, leaders from these uh, particular nations, which once again puts us in that particular area of, of the prophecy that we studied back in verse 13 of chapter 38, uh, putting the United States, if, if, if mentioned at all in any way, shape, or form, even indirectly as one of the young lions then we are indeed going to be standing with Saudi Arabia and their group, uh, Sheba and Didan, which are mentioned in the scripture, uh, only questioning the armies of Gog and Magog, but not doing anything to help Israel at all when the Ezekiel 38 war takes place. Because it is going to take place because the Lord says it will be, and as we'll see tonight, one particular verse for sure. I found it interesting that uh, North Korea is supplying or attempting to supply chemical weapons to Syria. And uh, we have uh, been told by um, some of the Israeli uh, news sources that uh, two shipments were intercepted from North Korea in the past six months, two shipments going directly to Syria. Now, we know that Syria has used chemical weapons on their own people. And one of the reasons why they're going to be destroyed, as it tells us in the book of Isaiah, and we don't see them mentioned by name in Psalm 83, or here in, in uh, Ezekiel 38, is that uh, it, it is going to be judged by God. But interesting that uh, uh, North Korea and all of the blabbering that Kim, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong the president of North Korea, is doing, is really wanting to get into some of this game uh, globally. And it makes me wonder about Ezekiel 38, verse 6, where it says, and many people with thee, speaking of Gog and Magog. So, interestingly enough, uh, one headline that I read was, North Korea has been trying to help Syria's Assad build his chemical weapons program. And the uh, major connection between North Korea and Syria is that they are both uh, allies of Russia. And if you've been with us any amount of time and looking at uh, uh, the makeup of the uh, nations that will come from the north to attack Syria, uh, I'm sorry, to attack Israel. Uh, they all are in that region of Rosh, which is, is considered to be Russia, Meshech, and Tubal. So those are just things to think about that are happening today, uh, mentioning, of course, the nations 
that are in our text in, chap in chapter 38. Uh, the main one I haven't mentioned today, but uh, is, is constantly in the news, of course, is Iran and their nuclear uh, desires are continuing to uh, uh, cause havoc in, uh, in, in Israel by just the very fact that every day they spew out their hatred by saying that they want uh, to destroy both Israel and the United States. So we shall see. Those are the things happening. Well, I was not here last week, so uh, the week before that we had done verses 1 through 7. I'd like to read those just to kind of lay and, uh, uh, and establish uh, the foundation for the rest of this study tonight. So let's turn to Ezekiel 39, verse 1, where it says, Therefore thou son of man, speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, Therefore thou son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, which could also be uh, translated, O Gog, prince of Rosh of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee up upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand and, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel. Now that's a very key statement that, uh, that uh, God is going to fall upon, uh, or I should say Gog is going to fall upon the mountains of Israel. Thou and all thy bands. Certainly one of the mountains that they're going to fall on because they're coming to destroy the nation itself and the hub and the key, the center, the epicenter of the nation is Israel, is uh, Jerusalem. And surrounding Jerusalem, of course, are all the mountains that are important to the Lord. Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, all in this encompassing this one area of Jerusalem. On there is also the Temple Mount. So that is a very important area as well. But they're going to fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee. That means any of the other nations that were not mentioned, possibly North Korea. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And again, two weeks ago, uh, we studied this passage in, de in, in detail, so I would encourage you uh, if you can, to go back, get the CD if you weren't here. But chapter 37, going back a couple of chapters to chapter 37, most of us know that this is the chapter that speaks of the, 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 uh, the dry bones that are made alive again, which is a picture of Israel being raised out of its, out of its death and ashes from the Holocaust, 
to become a nation once again. So when we consider Israel in chapter 37, we consider resurrection, revival, and return. Resurrection, revival, and return to the land. Chapter 38, we dealt with three major things. The revealing of the nations that will be uh, confederate with, with Gog, the leader, and Magog, the larger part of the, of, of, the, uh, of, of the region that is north of Israel, including Turkey and uh, some of the uh, uh, southern states that used to be part of the Soviet Union, but are now all Muslim nations. So there was the revealing of the nations. The second thing was the reasons for the invasion. The reasons, very simply, two things. The reasons for, were to come down and to take what Israel has. Invade them, take what they have, their riches, their technologies, and everything else. But most importantly, to destroy Israel. That's their main reason for this invasion that's going to happen. The third thing that we saw was God's reaction to the nations. So that made up chapter 38. So we get here to chapter 39. And, and just going back to the things that we studied two weeks ago and what we're going to uh, get into today, uh, brought to mind what a, what a perilous time we're living in. What a perilous time we're living in. If, if, if we wondered 30 or 40 years ago, some of us did, not all of you. Um, but back then, some of us wondered 30 or 40 years ago how all of the last day's prophecies in the scriptures were going to line up, along with the nations that weren't as delineated and, 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 and defined as they are today. It, it would have remained somewhat uh, uh, as a guessing game. Nations have come and gone in our estimation of end-time events. We thought some to be stronger than others, and some just kind of fade away, while others all of a sudden rise. I can tell you this, we did not consider Islam to be such a great uh, a power in the sense of, of, of uh, end-time situations as, as we do today, the way it has risen as, as a nation. I should say not so much as a nation, but as a, as a power in the Middle East. Well, we knew they were there all the time. We knew that was always happening. But then all of a sudden, we see the terrorism that has taken place since 9-11-2001. And things changed because that was a turning point in some of these uh, discussions and decisions of, of, of who is what and who will be what in the scriptures. And even the United States of America, as we spoke about three weeks in chapter 38, the United States of America is going through a transformation that we never expected it to undergo. The one and great superpower that had Israel's back since its return to the land, for better or for worse, is now facing complete disqualification from having any impact at all on Israel's protection and existence. And sadly, as we have seen and are seeing over the past three presidential administrations primarily, not to mention a few other previous to those, but this nation is imploding 
This nation is imploding politically, socially, culturally, economically, and especially, especially morally. If we want to know what, what, what is the worst part of it all, we could have begun that list with morally. Because we have to consider what's going on in our country in the last three or four weeks. Once the, once the historical foundation of our nation is destroyed, which is happening today, I mean, I mean it's happening uh, faster than we, we can take a breath. Look, I'm, it's not about the statues, folks, that people are wanting to tear down or to get rid of. We oftentimes ask the question, why, why didn't they do this eight years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Why didn't they do it at the onset of, 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 of the, uh, the results of, of, the, of, of the, uh, the war between the states? But if we consider that whole issue, it was a matter of learning from the mistakes of the past. The fact of the matter is, once the historical foundation of our nation is destroyed, what can be looked back upon for the sake of correction? What can be looked back upon to correct the course in which we're going? Now, let me interject here this thought. Of course, racism and bigotry are evil when carried to the extremes that we've seen in our country very recently, and I have to say from every side, from both sides. But doesn't God's word say that all have sinned? All have fallen short of the glory of God? You know, when we studied, when we studied the Civil War many, many years ago, the most important issue was states' rights. Yes, slavery was at the top of the list because of the way that many slave owners treated their slaves. Is slavery a good thing? No, of course not. The point is this, that we're all sinners. And one side on the other, you know, I know that there's deeper things. If, if we had the time, we could, we could deal with the deeper things of what was going on in Charlottesville a couple of weeks ago. But it's a sin issue. It's a heart issue. We've lost touch with the foundation that this nation sorely needed, which was a biblical foundation and a Christian foundation. Some would argue with that. Well, everybody needs to, you know, okay, well, that's fine, but here, here's the point. The point is, in 1960, when they took the Word of God out of the public schools, Every, you know, I, I think it was a few weeks ago that I gave you some statistics about that. The decline of the nation, the decline of, ne of uh, education, everything public school-wise, everything went 
sadly down and in a hurry. So all I'm saying is that the word of God says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And instead of seeking the face of God, well, we don't teach our kids to do that anymore, at least outside of places like this where we want our children to understand and to know the love of Christ. But even worse, consider that the biblical foundation of our nation's, nation's churches is, is eroding from within. I talk about this all the time, that, that within the body, what is called Christendom or, or, or Christianity, within it is falling and eroding. In effect, the visible church has lost its first love. When I say that we are a, a minority because we study the Word of God like we do, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be, uh, <laughs> you know, exaggerating here. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. More and more churches are putting the Word of God aside because it's not politically correct. Thank God it's not politically correct. And this is why in Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And as I said before, and I've used this quote, uh, this uh, uh, passage uh, extensively over the last two or three years, Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. God is dealing with nations, folks. God is dealing with nations. This is why uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 are so crucial to our understanding of where we are today and what is happening today, where we are today in the world, that we get to see in real time, at any time. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't get to to sleep early and one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, I'm watching the news and seeing things happen in real time on the other side of the world that are astounding. Because I might as well have my Bible open, and I oftentimes do, to say, wow, this is what's happening here. And as I said in Ezekiel 38, verse 13, if there is any place where the United States of America can be seen. It's here in Ezekiel 38, 13. It says Sheba and, and Dedan, which is names uh, pertaining to Saudi Arabia and the nations uh, that are linked to them, the United Arab Emirates, the uh, uh, Qatar, and, and, uh, and, and others. But Sheba and Dedan and the, the merchants of Tarshish, being those from either Spain or England or both, with all the young lions thereof. The young lions are the young colonies. It's, it's really, that's, that's how it's translated, the young colonies of the, tar, of the merchants of Tarshish shall say unto thee, art thou come to take a spoil? See, they're not standing up against Russia or, or against the Magog and Magog. They're just asking a question, art thou come to take a spoil? Sounds a lot like the work of the United Nations today. They've got a lot of questions about countries doing one thing or another to another, uh, to another country, but 
Who are, who are the ones that are usually getting condemned? Israel and the United States. Check it. Art thou come to take a spoil? Has thou gathered thy company to take a prey? To carry away silver and gold? To take away cattle and goods? To take a great spoil? And then that's it. What else do we see? We see God say to Ezekiel, say to Gog, and this is what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. When my people are in unwalled villages, goes on to talk about that. But knowing these things and knowing that two wars, the Psalm 83 war, which we've talked about as well much uh, in, the, in the past uh, few months, the Psalm 83 war and the Gog-Magog war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 are soon to take place. So knowing these things, we should also know that the motivations are the same. The motivations of the nations that are confederated against Israel in Psalm 83 is the same motivation that is, that is uh, sparking the, the, the move of this, these northern uh, confederacies to come down upon Israel. And that, that, uh, that motivation is the complete destruction of the nation and the people of Israel. But we should also know this. We should also know this. What it says in Ezekiel 38, verse 18. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. My fury, my wrath, my anger against those who are coming against my people and my land. Because remember this, the land doesn't belong to Israel, it belongs to God. And the people belong to God. And we who are believers in Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah of Israel, we belong to God. And it will be the Lord himself who will rise up in defense of his people Israel. And he will make himself known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that he alone is the Lord. That's coming. You guys see a lot of trailers on TV or maybe on YouTube. You know, every time you want to pop up a, a YouTube video, all of a sudden you get these trailers for all these movies, you know, about Bruce Lee and about one thing or another. And, and, and uh, you know, so you have to sit there for a minute, you know, or you can just say skip the ad or whatever. But you get all these trailers. Hey, man, there's not a trailer better than the one we've got here in front of us. Here's the next event. Here's the coming attraction. God is saying that. The Lord assures his people and all who would read the words of the prophecy that everyone can count on him to follow through with what he has promised, with what he has predicted, and with what he's prepared. Now, let's go back to Ezekiel 39, and we're going to start our study here now in verse 8. It says, Behold, it is come, it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. It's coming, it's done, it has been predicted, it has been prophesied, it has been spoken, and now it is going to happen. 
And what people in the church need to realize, especially the doubters and the scoffers who mock those who believe that the end time prophecies are quickly nearing their fulfillment, is that God will keep his word. God is going to keep his word. Now, again, we have all kinds of things happening in the quote-unquote visible church. We've got churches, denominations, we've got all kinds of, of, of groups, you know, saying, well, you know, yeah, we'll carry a Bible into church, but we're also going to, you know, uh, uh, be open to same-sex marriages and all kinds of other things. <clears throat> what are they saying? Well, God's Word doesn't matter. Yet what does God say about same-sex marriage? It's an abomination. And I can tell you this, if the alternative for president had become president, me just saying that, by, in this day and time, I'd probably be arrested. Let him come and try. In the land of the free and the home of the brave. God's word is true, and it never changes. God hasn't changed his mind. We are the ones mocking him when we do that kind of thing. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and shall he not do it, or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? That's God from beginning to end. And I'm not telling you to hate people. I am telling you to love them by telling them the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You all understand the difference? What I just said a little while ago would be considered hate speech. But I don't hate anyone. I hate the devil and all that he's done. From the garden to the lake of fire. But I don't hate anyone. Because I'm a sinner just like them and just like you. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Peter warned that in the last days, there would be many that would doubt, scoff, laugh, and put down the promises of the Lord's return. Peter, 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 7. Knowing this first, Peter says, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. But he's not talking about scoffers that are outside of the church. He's talking about those that are inside the church. Scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Can you imagine that? Willingly ignorant. 
that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, willingly ignorant of the reason why God had to bring a flood upon this earth. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The word willingly in this passage is the Greek word thelo, which speaks of not only willing something, but is also pressing into action. It means to press into action. And what that means is, this is what they want to believe. And it has caused them to act in a certain manner. In other words, they deny the Lord's return and the judgment that is coming, and it causes them to live in a manner that satisfies the flesh rather than, the, than pleasing the Lord. I can tell you this, that people who hold to dominion theology and think that the church is going to save the world before Jesus returns also live like they can amass as many possessions that they can by speaking it into existence. That's a bunch of hogwash. Who really wants to believe that judgment is coming? Who really wants to believe that judgment is coming? We all should. Because God has said it's going to happen. And what he says is going to happen because he says it. He's promised it. So now from revealing the nations involved in the Gog-Magog battle in chapter 38, the reasons for the invasion of Israel, to take from them and to destroy them, and God's reaction to the nations, which is the raising of his wrath and fury against his and Israel's enemies, we now come to the removal of the weapons of Gog. The removal of the weapons of Gog in verses 9 and 10 of Ezekiel 39. So let's look at it. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Now, would you say that seven years is a significant number? You're supposed to say yes. Yeah, okay. Seven years is a significant number. And we'll see why in a moment. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoil them and rob those that rob them, saith the Lord God. How interesting that that statement is there. They shall spoil those that spoil them. To spoil doesn't mean to make them cheapless. Okay, some of you know what that means in English and Spanish. That's not what it means to spoil. What it means to spoil is to go and take from, to take the spoils of war. So they shall spoil them that spoil, uh, they shall spoil those that spoil them, Israel will, and rob those that rob them. Remember the principle that those people who want to do evil to others are going to eventually have that same judgment upon themselves. If, if a person lays a trap out, you see this a few times in the book of, of uh, Proverbs, a person lays a trap out for somebody, guess who's going to fall in the trap? They are eventually. With what measure you measure out to someone, it's going to be the same measure returned back onto you. 
So here are these nations that want to steal and rob from Israel. Israel's going to take from them because God is going to destroy them literally where they stand. But I'm giving away too much. All right. So we're told that Israel will have sufficient fuel for seven years. Why is that significant? Well, one of the most important aspects of this passage that we're looking at this evening has to do with the timing of when this conflict will occur. So first of all, I want you to consider that in Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, the trumpet judgments are sounding now in the midst of the seven-year tribulation period. Ah, seven years of tribulation. So there's a, there's a key. So turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter 8 and look at verse 7. Very interesting. Revelation 8 verse 7, the first angel sounded. Speaking of the trumpet judgments, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. Let, let me give you a little scenario here. I'm not going to say that this is exactly how it's going to happen. It's just something that can happen. I'm going to try to insert this very quickly here because of time. But one of, one of the major weapons nowadays that, that uh, the United States is, is, is really concerned about from nations like North Korea, Iran, and uh, Russia, and a few others, China as well, especially China, I believe. But one, one of the weapons of, of, of warfare that uh, is totally unconventional is what is called the electromagnetic pulse. And if you've done any research or any reading about the electromagnetic pulse, it is, it is something, of course, that is, is set up in, you know, kind of over, like in space over a certain nation that would send out a, a, a magnetic pulse that would, in fact, make any kind of technology or any kind of, of, of instrument or, or machine or whatever completely not work anymore. Anything that's electro, uh, electric or... or uh, uh, any kind of technological equipment of, of any sort, uh, they they can just shut it all down, shut all the all the all the phones, all the the cell phones and and towers and everything else, lights and and uh, I mean everything. This, this is what it's designed to do. So with that in mind, think about what would happen in a war where if that happens, that you're not fighting with conventional, uh, you know, nowadays conventional weapons. Now you're going to might have to resort to different kinds of weapons that require a lot of wood, as it were. Think just, I'm just saying, think about the scenario itself. As well as, if, you're not, uh, if you don't have lights working, I mean, you're going to have to find some way to heat water, to heat things, uh, and so it might be having to go back to some kind of a, a, a wood situation. So, just that, in that in mind, the third part of the trees in Revelation 8, during the time of the tribulation, they're going to be burned up. So much of then what you can use, you know, for, for heat and, and, and uh, uh, just fuel is going to be taken away. So now, getting back to this, this verse, this is telling us, as I said, that one-third of the, all the trees will be burned up by God during the tribulation because God is the one who's saying, you know, this is what he's doing during the tribulation period. 
and the Lord will provide fuel to last throughout the seven years of tribulation, which strongly suggests that the battle of Gog Magog versus Israel will be before those seven years. So now we're getting to the timing of when this is going to happen. And I mentioned earlier on, and I'm going to mention it a little bit more as we, as we, as we progress through and finish the book of Ezekiel, that I'm, I'm considering, again, I'm considering in, in the timeline that two things will happen before the, the, the Gog-Magog war and the Psalm 83 war. That is the rapture of the church and these wars. So, but we'll talk about that in a little bit more in detail later. So, there are scholars that are telling us that the terms seven months and seven years, and you're going to see seven months here in just a moment, but that the terms seven months and seven years are merely metaphors. They're just metaphors for completeness, suggesting that the situation now itself that, that you're reading about is a finished uh, uh, situation, which comes back to that... Uh, that uh, eschatological view or end-time view called preterism, which says that really all uh, prophecies have been fulfilled. I don't know how they come to that conclusion that all prophecies have been fulfilled, but that's what they believe. So it's, it's almost as if, well, you know, all of this is metaphor. I mean, if you're, if you're um, a millennial person that doesn't believe in, you know, in the thousand-year reign of Christ as a, as a real time uh, thing, you know, it, it's... You, you start to develop these kinds of, uh, of um, uh, ways of, of trying to make it all work out in your mind. If you just read what God says, and then you look at what's happening in the world today, and you see the countries that we've been noticing are lining up against Israel, as we, we, we've uh, uh, talked about for I don't know how long, uh, it, it should wake something up inside of us. But with others, they're just saying, oh, no, it's not going to happen. But that's, it, it's an unlikely thing that these are just metaphors uh, because what God is saying is very specific. God is speaking in specific terms and he wouldn't just talk about specific things happening and then all of a sudden, a sudden say, well, it's, it's, in, it, it's a, you know, just kind of a, a, a metaphor. There's months, years, whatever. Just, you know, don't, don't, it's, it's just going to be finished. No, God is very specific. Please remember that about prophecy. And, and it's for a reason. And the reason is here that Israel will need fuel to burn during that time. Israel is going to need fuel to burn during that time. And who is being attacked, by the way? Israel. And God destroys the nations and, and the armies against them. But if this is happening during a time when there is a need for fuel of that sort, now God has given them what they need for seven years, which is the length of time of the tribulation. So it tells us then that this is going to take place more than likely right at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Interestingly, interestingly, there was a report out in the year 2000, so that's... 17 years ago, but it was a report that, uh, that the Russians were manufacturing weapons made out of wood. And it was a product that was developed by Dutch scientists called lignostone. You can read about it, L-I-G-N-O-S-T-O-N-E, 
lignostome. Well, that may or may not be a viable or worthwhile piece of information. You know, some people say it's a, you know, it's not really true or whatever. But I, I read up on it, and there, lignostone is is a real thing. But it's, but it's pressed wood. But it's pressed in such a way that that uh, it it really is something that could be used in in place of other materials. But one thing we do know, and think about this: weapons today can be made in a person's bedroom or workshop using a 3D printer. It's been known to happen. Weapons that cannot be detected by radar, uh, radar, uh, x-ray, even at airports. So that's pretty scary when you think about it. So when the time comes, We'll know better what kinds of weapons will be used, but suffice it to say that they will be able, they will be able to be burned when the Lord destroys Gog and Magog. Now the next thing that we deal with here in verses 11 through 16 of Ezekiel 39 is the fact of the burial of the enemies in their bodies because there is a multitude of deaths in the land of Israel. Let's read about it in verses 11 through 16. Verse 11 of Ezekiel 39 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers. Wow. No kidding. May may I tell you that death really stinks? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had to work in in that kind of situation. I do uh, and have quite a bit. Uh, The the stench of just one person uh, can be very strong. Can you imagine thousands upon thousands in the land? And there shall they bury, and there shall they bury Gog, and all his mu- multitude. And they shall call it the Valley of Hamon Gog. The multitude of Gog, of Gog, that's what Hamon means, a multitude. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them. It's going to take seven months to bury the dead. And that is the dead of Gog and Magog. That they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out of men of continual employment, passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when, he, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamonah. Thus shall they cleanse the land. Let me say very quickly here, so I don't forget this. Uh, 
But in thinking about the, the, the finding of a bone and marking it and then extracting it for burial, uh, when we worked in, uh, in New York City after 9-11, uh, some of us had uh, the opportunity to work in the areas where they were actually in ground zero and finding uh, body parts or bone or, or any kind of uh, uh, things that could be uh, used to identify the people that were missing. And um, it, was, it was a very, uh, very sad event uh, to see and to be a part of there was one time when we were on a 35th story building, which was kind of like, uh, you know, just standing on the rooftop of your house in New York City because other buildings just towered over you. But I don't think there's a building in El Paso 35 stories high. So we were on the top of a 35-story building looking down into, into ground zero, and we, we were in the smallest building around. But... They had found uh, they had found some uh, parts of someone that they rec uh, they recognized as a firefighter, and everything stopped, and the firefighters and the police officers and the EMS people all formed two lines down from where the the parts were found, all the way up the ramp. And lights were on the vehicles. It was it was one of the most touching things I'd ever seen. But the respect for that that uh, person, of course, their family, was was tremendous. And and uh, the uh, part was brought out just like in a very slow slow uh, uh, march or parade, as it were. But it wasn't a parade. Uh, but but just something that you'll never forget. So you can imagine that after a war like this where the land has to be cleansed because the land is impure in this manner, that they will find that and mark that and then they will bury it in Hamon Gog. The word Hamon, as I said, is a multitude, but it more than suggests how many bodies will defile the land of Israel after the battle of Gog. That should be Gog. and Magog. What it will leave is a tremendous desecration of the land of Israel. The land will need to be cleansed. Verse 11 tells us where the bodies will be buried. It will be in an area uh, that is known as the Valley of the Passengers or the Valley of the Travelers, which is east, just east of the Dead Sea. And the name will be changed to the Valley of Hamon Gog. Remember back in verse 2, that five-sixths of Gog's army will be destroyed. So that is a lot, a lot of people. That's, uh, that's a lot to consider how many armies and nations are involved. And as I said, timing of the event is everything here in this chapter. So let's consider when it will not be. Let's consider when this will not be. First, I want you to look at, uh, go back just a page to Ezekiel 38, verse 19. Let's look at verse 19 of, of the previous chapter. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely, and this is the part I want you to see. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. Now that's a reference to an earthquake, 
to an earthquake and a great earthquake. There shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. Now, as I said, notice that phrase, surely in the day or that day. To answer those who believe that Gog Magog, uh, the war, is going to take place at the end of the tribulation period uh, in what they are calling Armageddon, we need to look at Revelation chapter 16. So let's go to Revelation chapter 16 and look at verse 16. Because this is how they come to this conclusion. They say, uh, well, look at what it says here in verse 16. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, which is literally Har Megiddo. Megiddo is, is a town in Israel. It is an area where there is this humongous area of land that's just as flat as can be. Good place for a war, as it were. Har Megiddo. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. So now they say, You see, there's a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts in the city, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Boy, that's a great earthquake. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. It's about 100 pounds. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So some say that because of this great earthquake described in this passage, that the war has to be at the end of the tribulation. But now I want you to turn with me to chapter 6 of Revelation. Last time I checked, 6 was before 16. So we go to chapter 6, and we look at verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> By the way, this is the beginning of the tribulation. This is the beginning. Gee, I'm giving you the hint already, but I'm looking at the time. I was going to make you try to guess. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 14. And the heaven, de and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Here is a great earthquake mentioned. And it is at the beginning of the tribulation. And it is not the end of the tribulation. It's the beginning. And the result of the shaking would be a disaster that the world has never seen the extent of. We've seen devastating earthquakes on the news. But not like this one. So understand then that because it mentions an earthquake at the end of the tribulation doesn't mean that 
the war has to be at the end. It's not that war. There's a different war. And we're going to get to that. Well, let's get back to Ezekiel 39. Let's, let's look at the, the pollution mentioned in verse 12. Seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yeah, their bodies, it's polluting the land. As a matter of fact, in the law, you know, you know you weren't, you weren't, you're not supposed to touch, you know, once you touch the body of a dead person, I mean, you're unclean. So then you have to go through the process of becoming clean again. Same thing here. You know, the seventh month shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land. Now, the devastation itself may lead to the burying of bodies seven months after the war for seven months. And there, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a, a, a you have to read a, a certain part in, in the Hebrew, but, but in the English, you know, it, it, it seems to, to say that it's going to take seven months to get ready to do the seven months of burying. So that's possibility. I'm not saying that that's what it is, but that's, that's what this little uh, passage uh, is, is, is implying. But, but again, there may be a hint for us about all of this in Zechariah uh, as to why <clears throat> it would take this kind of, of, uh, of caution. And I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 12. And, and this is, this is a, a verse that I think if, if you let me go for one more hour... Uh, I, would, I would really want to try to nail down a few things that, man, I mean, okay, well, it's not going to happen because we only have a few minutes. But in verse 12 it says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. You see that picture? That's why I said they're going to be hit while standing. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes. You remember the, near the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark? And the little guys that were standing over the ark when it was open. And the one guy... <laughs> I, wonder how, I wonder if that's what we're seeing here. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Man, give me one hour. I got, I've got something. Uh, it, it'll have to come another time. But quickly, some have described this as the results of an atomic blast, or, or actually some type of a neutron bomb, which, by the way, Israel has developed and the U.S. hasn't, not like they have. Interesting. And it's supposed to emit a greater amount of radiation and less damage to buildings and infrastructure. Well, let's save the infrastructure. Let's kill the people. But I think well, that's what they're doing here with that. And once again, we consider the timing. This would not or could not take place at the middle of the tribulation period since they won't be burying bodies when the Antichrist goes into the temple declaring himself to be God. So we know it's not going to happen in the middle. Why? Because of what Jesus said in Mark 13, verses 14 to 20. He said, but when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that is the Antichrist going into the temple halfway through the tribulation period, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them be that be in Judea flee to the mountains. So they're not going to be burying if it's happening in the middle of the tribulation. They're not going to be doing that when the Antichrist goes in. They're going to be fleeing to the mountains. 
And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. Let him that is in the field not turn back again for, for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not for the, from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he has chosen, he has shortened the days. These are the words of Jesus. They're, they're not going to be burying people in the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist goes in. They're going to be gone. So consider the conditions in which they're doing that. The second thing is they're not going to be doing it at the end of the tribulation in what is called the Armageddon. You know, if, it, if it's a war of Armageddon, why? I mean, will the millennial kingdom of Christ be set up with Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne of Jerusalem and the people are going to be burying bodies for seven months? They're not going to have to. If it's right after the tribulation, if it's right after the Armageddon war, it doesn't make sense. You know, it's interesting that in verse 13, the people are going to honor this event. It says, Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. They're going to remember what they're doing. Because what they're doing is part of glorifying God. They're not going to remember the event. I'm, I'm sorry, let me say that again. They are going to remember the event but not in the millennium. So it's not going to happen at the end of a war at the end of the tribulation. And verse 14 through 16 tell us that the pursuit of the bodies will continue after the seven months are over. There will be people employed to make sure everybody is buried, so they're going to hire people. More people are going to have to be hired to go bury. And who knows what the conditions are going to be. I mean, they're going to be wearing those suits that they have to wear when they come into contact with people that have Ebola. Have you seen those suits that they wear? It might have to be a bunch of those suits, you know, doing the burying. All because of what is being described in the scriptures. The land of Israel is to be cleansed from all defilement. The land and the people were always to be holy. I, just, I have to leave you with this because of time, but it's Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. We'll close with this. For I am the Lord God. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart, and you shall be holy. For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. I wish I had another hour to talk about that. I might have to do about a three-hour thing here. That'll take us to about almost midnight. Is that all right? No. You guys have to go to work, to school tomorrow. We've got to get you there. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. In the midst of all of this, preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. 
There is a continual need for the body of Christ, the true believers in Jesus Christ, to be holy and set apart from the world. When we make the scriptures the word of God of utmost importance to our lives, it changes how we view the days in which we're living. I know that we all feel a sense of burden when we see what's happening in our nation. And if we love God's word, we're doing the one thing that we're told to do, and that's to pray. To pray for our country. To pray for our military personnel that are only doing what they're being told to do. For the sake of its people, to have this opportunity like we have today to open God's word without fear that someone's going to come through those doors and, and take us out or put us away. And we respect and honor so much those who serve our country and have served our country. But this country's in trouble. And we need to lift it up. But the best thing that we can do with that is to live righteous and godly in the present age and let the light of the glory of Jesus Christ shine in our lives. Let it be lived out in faith and trust in the Lord. We see things happen. We want to respond immediately in the flesh. The important thing is this. Remember, everything that is happening is leading to one event. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church, the true church, those who truly have given their hearts and lives to Jesus, those who are truly born again of the Spirit of God. That's not a badge of, of, of pride. It is a badge of humility. Why? Because Jesus said, as you have seen me do, so do ye. Serve one another. Watch each Watch, wash each other's feet. Well, that's a hard one to say. Wash each other's feet. Love one another as Christ has loved you. So we still have to do that. Even while we see what's happening in the world. Fall apart. But God says, I already know that. And I'm in control. Amen? God's in control. So give praise to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight to meet together here and to uh, just appreciate and to enjoy the fellowship.
enjoy the opportunity to lift up our voices in praise and thanksgiving. And also, Lord, to study your word and, and, to, and to realize, Lord God, how, how rich your word is. To tell us what we see happening around us in many and different ways. But, Lord, we're committed to you. I pray for those who are shaken, to those that are being stirred in their hearts, that they'll come to you now. Give their lives to you, Lord, and, and, and be set free from the bondage of sin, death, and fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. And your love is perfect toward us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. The Lord bless you and keep you. <clears throat> the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. Have a blessed, blessed evening and a good rest of the week. Those of you going to the retreat, uh, look forward to seeing you there uh, at uh, the Lone Tree uh, camp and um, looking forward to uh, a, a couple of good days of, of fellowship and, and, and being built up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and his word. So God bless you all and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week. And by the way, if you're uh, Sunday, if you're not going to the retreat, come to church. Okay, thank you. 9-11 or Saturday at 530. God bless.